Welcome to Fertello on Air, a podcast brought to you by Fertello. I'm Mike Stockton, coming to you from Frankfurt, Germany. I'm Robert Jan, and coming to you from The Hague in the Netherlands. Hey, RJ, how are you doing? It's been a while. Good. Yeah, it has been a while, and I'm pretty tired, to be honest. I can't wait uh, till all the traveling is done and uh, enjoy some uh, some uh, some holiday times. And you? Yeah. No, I mean, I'm I'm... In a similar situation, I, I took my last flight uh, at least for like a week and a half now um, today, and yeah, I'm ready to uh, get the Gemütlichkeit uh, going here in Germany. So. <laughs> Sehr wichtig, <laughs> very important. That means for yeah, all yeah. non-German speakers. And Gemütlichkeit—that's like a tough one to explain. It's kind of like uh, spirit, right? Sort of. Uh, yeah, we in the Netherlands we call it gezellig. Wow. Which is even more difficult, but it's something like gemütlich or cozy, you ah, could say. Cozy. There we are. But uh, I have another German word for you. It's Handgelenkkontrolle. Also. The wrist check. Oh, yeah. That uh, does sound like let's something keep it at, uh, rather let's official. Let's keep it at wrist check. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so, yeah, it's been a while since we've... Uh, We've been together. Last uh, episode was a really good one from Dubai, and yep. we're in slightly colder and uh, rainier uh, climates now. But we've um, we've got, I think, a good show. We're we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the five watches for, from each of us that we were most impressed with this year. The ones that kind of left a uh, left an impression and. You know, I don't know about you, RJ. I mean, we'll we'll get to this in a second, but this is very much like when they do the Oscars or something. There's some strategy, I think, by the watch companies to release things late in the year that that stick in your head. But um, yeah, they they need that time to um, if if you do everything at once at Basel World or SIGH or Watches and Wonders, it will be called uh, next year. Um, it's more or less all at the same time. You are it. it yeah, it becomes a bit easy to forget, so to speak, for, for us journalists, but also I think for uh, consumers. So I think they want to have their own moments and then they do releases throughout the year. So these t- yeah, last few years, we also noticed a lot of uh, releases after the summer, basically. And one of the most recent releases is, uh, for for example, the Seamaster 300M for James Bond, mm. which was the, the other week. Um, so yeah, it's really, really throughout the year. And uh, I've seen some some media planning things for some brands for next year um yeah it it will be even more next year that they will do releases throughout the year um it also has to do that a lot of brands pulled out um, basel world and pulled out sih or watches and wonders and have their own um, little or big moments so i think um yeah next year will be tense also with the traveling yeah Traveling and just uh, keeping up with all this. I mean, with uh, you know, this week in watches was a was a or has been a real um, interesting experience because it it truly blows me away how many new watches every week are announced. And I mean, we do our best to cover most of them, but clearly we're covering the ones we get news on, and that doesn't include some small brands or other things. So there's a lot happening every week now. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's amazing. It's uh, more than ever, I have the feeling. And um, I think our mailbox proves us uh, right that is the case. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting, but it's uh, also challenging. So so before we get to the Han Galenk controller, let's, yes. um, may, maybe you want to fill us in on, on something new that's happened with the site here. Uh, some folks may may have uh may not have seen it but but you can yes. fill us in. <laughs> yeah we've been working hard in the last uh, few months actually to uh, to start our own piece of e-commerce and um, we didn't want to start with straps or watch rolls and so on and i i'm not saying that uh we we're not going to do those but we wanted to start uh, selling watches basically and um in a good way so we don't want to have a web shop with a matrix of, of watches and pictures that you just can add them to the cart but we want to give yeah certain experience and we only want to offer watches that we feel are very interesting watches that we we buy ourselves or could buy ourselves uh, or watches that have a yeah an interesting complication or are otherwise interesting and um, that watches we feel comfortable with and um, so yeah that, that also um uh, led to a, to a web design that that needs to be tailored basically for each and every watch or watch category in the future that we uh, are going to do. But last uh, Wednesday we went live with our uh, shop with our e-commerce, and we start with a Frederic Constant watch with a moon face with an in-house manufactured movement. Um, it's, so it's a dress watch. It's a forty-two millimeter, and uh, that's considered uh, often big. But uh, I think it's very uh, uh, versatile and it can be worn with a suit or with a shirt. Um, but also if you're w- with a polo shirt like like I am most of the warmer days, mm-hmm. I think then 42 millimeters makes sense. And I really, really love moon, watch complica- uh, moon, sorry, moon face complications. And um, yeah, this one is, has a very clean design. And we decided to do one together with Friedrich Constant with a very nice uh, gray dial. Um, it really stands out. So I have a look on our shop it's shop.fratello.com and um it's really a yeah beautiful watch i'm very happy with the result and i'm super happy with the with the web shop we um yeah everything has been customized custom uh, developed so we don't use an off-the-shelf uh web shop system like shopify or week or woocommerce um that you often see but we yeah we really had something tailor-made by uh yeah, very uh, some very good and talented people, and uh, yeah, the design of the web of the landing page of Frederic Constant is awesome. If you scroll up and down, you see the moon face moving. Mm. It's really well done, and, the, and yeah, and the watch is awesome. I will post some more pictures this week. I, I have been very busy, but I will post some more pictures of the watch uh, this week on Instagram and Facebook, so you have a closer, like real life look. Um, but it's amazing. And we have faced a lot of challenges. One is the payment system. You would think that in 2019, <laughs> <laughs> that it's very easy to get like a payment service online where people can pay with a credit card or PayPal. But it's not because a lot of these payment services still see watches as a, as a high risk product. And um, yeah, they're very um, reluctant to, uh, to, to cover these type of uh, purchases. Um, yeah, and then we had some issues with the with with the with the watch itself. Um, there's nothing wrong with the watch, of course, but it has a, a crocodile uh, strap, which makes it impossible to ship it from the EU to countries outside of the EU. And of course, we know these things, but we thought if you're a professional business, there are solutions for this. There are not. So, um, <laughs> except if you want to have uh, everything with with certificates done and so on. 
But um, yeah, we're now uh, working on uh, getting it uh, solved so we can uh, can also actually ship it outside of uh, Europe. So if you're inter- if you're outside of Europe, you're interested in the watch, drop us an email. We are able to ship it to you. So and yeah, we have the next uh, working on the next uh, watches um, also next year. Uh, things look really good, so I think we will have some very interesting. Uh, watches for uh, yeah for listeners and readers and uh, people otherwise uh, interested in uh, in watches definitely so it's a it's a new uh, uh, era for us i think it's a new uh, new game but uh, yeah i really like it yeah no I, I i think it's exciting it's really i mean i hope uh, people who who read our site uh, again know that know that we're really watch people and Hopefully, um, hopefully, you'll agree that the watches that that come into the shop are are reflective of of the people you you enjoy reading articles from, and and yeah, I'm 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 excited about this next step for for the site. So I think it's a really good thing. Yeah, me too. But I did not know <laughs> beforehand that it would be so intense to have all this done. And I have to say, uh, much credits to uh, Daniel. Who really, really worked his ass off um, to get things done in time and to uh, get things rolling. And uh, yeah, kudos to him. He really did an amazing job. Man, I can't give Daniel any credit, can I? I know, so I did. Oh, <laughs> good job, good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so kidding, for Daniel. the <laughs> for the Handgelenk controller, the wrist check. Yeah. So tell me. Yeah, so I'm I'm wearing uh, a watch that is very apt for uh, this uh, German uh, German uh, descriptor here. I've got my uh, Sin T2 on, which is a wow. Yeah, that, that's not a watch you see every day, and certainly not one you see on my wrist every day. So, uh, for those who don't know the T2, this is a watch that came out. I'm guessing like five or six years ago, and it's it's kind of got like a CK shape, but I, I wouldn't say it's that dramatic. Um, but it's a, a titanium diver, 41 um, millimeter, 2000 meters of depth, which is crazy and not overly thick. Um, it's, yeah, it's all, t- as, I, as I mentioned, all titanium and it's, it's not an inexpensive watch, which is I th- I think why it um, perhaps stays under the radar. It it, it costs mm-hmm. uh, twenty four fifty on leather, and you know add a couple few hundred more if you put the titanium bracelet on it. And I usually do have it on the bracelet, but I put one of the new twenty millimeter Tropic straps that just came out a few months ago on it, and I think it looks pretty cool. So. I, I bought this watch um, when I saw it debut at Basel. I ordered one. Uh, Sin is right here in Frankfurt where I live. And this was at the time uh, that their shop was at their old headquarters before they built their new one and subsequently mm-hmm. opened a uh, shop in the in the main uh, square here in Frankfurt. And, yeah, I had to wait months for it. And, um no, it, it's it's just a really cool diver. I've worn it a lot on vacations, and while I'm not a diver, I've certainly worn it in the ocean and that kind of thing on, on other activities. Um, complete, absolute overkill for anything I do, but I like the fact that it's not this huge honking thing that doesn't fit under a shirt sleeve, and in some ways it looks a little bit different than um, 
some of Sin's watches. And, you know, if you know the history um, of Zen and the ownership of uh, his name, Lothar Schmidt, mm-hmm. um, was at IWC and had ownership of the uh, Porsche design and the GST programs. So this watch is actually kind of considered as a spiritual successor to the uh, that Bund Ocean 2000. So there are some very yeah. similar traits to it, like the scalloped uh, bezel, the push down and turn. And yeah, that, that, that kind of, yeah, it, it sort of uh, rang with me when, uh, yeah. when they announced some of the, uh, some of these styling traits. So yeah, yeah. cool watch. Yeah. Very cool. And how about you? Um, well, I'm also wearing a watch that is a complete overkill for uh, what I do. But I think, to be honest, every watch is overkill for what I do. <laughs> um, I'm, I think I mentioned the watch that I'm wearing today actually in a previous podcast, but I am wearing the uh, ProProf 1200 meters. Ah. Um, so that's definitely overkill for any of my uh, swimming activities. But I just, yeah, I just grabbed it out of the uh, safe and I think it's a very cool watch uh, to wear once in a while. I wore it um, every day of my holiday last year and I think I mentioned it in a, in a mm. podcast. Um, and after that, I didn't wear it for a while because I think if, uh, yeah, if I wear a watch for that long in a row, then you put it away. And uh, But I gra- grabbed it from the safe again and uh, yeah, even though, and I keep saying it, even though the, the size is like ridiculous, it really wears quite comfortable and it looks nice and it looks special. And even people who have nothing with watches, they, they comment on it and they ask about it and they, they like the, yeah, the awkwardness of the watch basically, but I really like it. I think it's a job well done still. And I, it's sad to see that the Plo Prof is, uh, the steel one is uh, discontinued. Um, but yeah, it's a cool watch. And uh, on the other wrist, I'm wearing something, uh, that I can't use, to be honest. It's a swatch, and um, of course, it uh, it tells the time, but it's, it's a swatch pay. Huh. And uh, it has been um, introduced in the Netherlands a few weeks ago, and I think uh, a, a day after the introduction in Amsterdam, there was the introduction in, um, in, uh, in Germany. Yep. I think you were away uh, at that time. Um, but I can't try it out because the, uh, it only works with ABN, uh, Emerald Bank in the Netherlands. Um, and I have a different bank, um, and it, that doesn't support Swatch Pay yet. They will do so in a while, but um, they don't. So I'm only wearing it to yeah to 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 see how it works and to uh, to fiddle a bit around with it. But um, yeah, it's a watch for a review, and I'm going to write a piece about the Swatch Pay system. And uh, I have to say, I since recent, and I'm not sure it's it's very different in in a lot of countries. But since recent, you can buy with uh, sorry, pay with Apple Pay in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started using it basically with my uh, my, my iPhone. If I tap the, the the button on the on the right side uh, twice, I get my uh, my uh, my Rainbow Bank card on the display, and I keep it next to the to the little machine in the shop. And then you can pay with the thing, and it's quite convenient. So I can imagine um, that paying with a watch like Swatch Pay, it, it works more or less the same. Um, you just keep your watch close to the uh, the paying uh, thing the pin code thing, and then uh, you paid basically. And um, I have an Apple Watch, so I also tried it with my Apple Watch, and that works uh, quite nice. 
And um, yeah, I can imagine that um, it also will work with uh, nicely with the with the Swatch uh, watches. They have a number of variations. I'm wearing the the black and white one because it looks very similar to the very first Swatch from 1983. Oh, cool. I have an old Sol, so I like to uh, to have these things uh, as close to the original as possible. But uh, yeah, it's a funny watch. I, th- I, I have the, the, the packages here as well. It's 75 euros. So it's much cheaper than a <laughs> than an Apple Watch, but uh, Apple Watch is more functionality, of course. But um, how, yeah, how large it's is nice it? To, uh, how, how large is it? I think it's much bigger than the original swatches, which are like 33 or something, um, or thir- 34. Four, this yeah. is like 40 millimeter, I think. Okay. I have to size it up. I don't have the specs uh, on me, but is I it, think it's a, a good 40 millimeter. Yeah. Is it thick or is it similar thickness? No, it's very thin, like a like a normal uh, swatch, basically. Oh, very cool. It might be a bit thicker because of the technology, but I guess it's just like this little chip it has inside So um, that, that does the job. So I have a question. But you have to... Yeah. So once your bank signs up and, and you can use uh, swatch pay, to, to be really mm-hmm. dramatic, instead of stealing the watch uh, from you, could I cut your arm off and it'd be like face off and I could use your arm to pay for things? Yeah, but I think in a shop, and I, I assume you do, you only want to chop off an arm if you want to buy an expensive thing and not like a Mars bar or something. Depends how I hungry I am, if, you know? Exactly. But I think in most shops, I think they will look at you very strangely and call the police perhaps if they see you coming in with a chopped off <laughs> hand and a piece of a wrist with a watch on it to pay but you told me but yeah that's uh but you told me like late at night you've got these automat uh machines right correct could you use but, uh, uh, i don't know if they accept um wireless payments these days when i was a uh, a bit younger, like in my teens, you just had to had to, to put in quarters and Dutch guilders mm-hmm. um, for a frikandel or something. But um, I don't know if they are uh, that advanced that you can pay uh, swatch through, pay. Um, swatch pay or Apple Pay. No, I don't know. But it 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 looks nice. You have to 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 put an app on your phone and um, connect it somehow with your uh, with your watch. I think um, it's cool. That's good. Yes. So once my bank has the stuff set up, I will definitely uh, use it and uh, really give it a try. But for now, I have to rely a bit on the documentation that uh, that Swatch um, has ready for us. But um, yeah, I like these things, and I, I'm also. Um, um, yeah, curious to see how it will work for Swatch because, in all honesty, I like Swatch. I have a, a box full of them, <laughs> uh, like most of us, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I, it's also for me that the um, yeah, if you compare it to the '90s, the number of swatches you see in the flesh is is much lower or less than it, it used to be. Uh, and I'm not sure if a Swatch Pay watch will change that uh, dramatically. Basically, I think it's a, a fun fun. F- perhaps it's a bit more than a gadget but i'm not sure if it will change the the yeah the buyers of of swatch basically yeah well i mean you never know you do have some people who are trying to switch off some of those devices in their life and this is maybe a more analog uh, method of still keeping that convenience of you know not having to pull out your wallet or whatever it is but not having a a second screen on your on your wrist that's always informing you of somebody trying to get in touch with you, right? So, yeah, might true. might have might be more niche like, but yeah, never can tell. So, yeah, you still need your. I think you still need your smartphone or iPhone or whatever to to activate the whole thing. But yeah, I I, I see what you mean. Yeah, but they're nice watches. They have some variations. I have four, 
they shipped a few to me and uh, yeah i like the the original black and white one cool yeah all right so two watches today but only today nice so we're going to get into our uh, our main topic here and and as um this is probably the last time you'll hear from us in 2019 although i don't i don't know but uh, probably no probably yeah. Um, we thought we would run down our favorite watches of the year and we, A, have not, uh, cross, uh, we've not shared our list, so we don't really know what we're going to talk about here. Um, we don't know what, what each other are going to talk about. And we did agree that we were going to only talk about watches that debuted in calendar year 2019. Um, we talked about perhaps doing some sort of a gift guide before Christmas, but I think we hit that pretty well in writing, both on watches and all kinds of different accessories a couple of weeks back. We did that right before the Thanksgiving Black Friday period, so head to head to the site for, for gift guides. But we thought we would, yeah, talk about really what, what jumped out at us this year. And I don't know, RJ, do you, do you want me to start or you want to start? No, uh, go ahead and start. I think I know at least one of your watches, but um. <laughs> we probably have one in common, right? So I think so. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'll I'll start. Um, I'm going to start probably with something that uh, is a bit of a surprise, but this is a really late breaker. In fact, late breaking to the extent that uh, the article came out only a couple days ago. And unfortunately, it's a watch that you can't even buy now because it's sold out within 45 minutes or so. But I had the opportunity finally to go hands-on with a Ming watch. And the watch that I had was the 17.06 Slate. And this is a watch that is essentially the same as the copper model they uh, issued several months back that ended up winning an award at the GPHG. And it's a 38 millimeter, you could kind of call it a dress watch, but has a hundred meters of, of water resistance. And, um, if you're kind of familiar with Ming, then you, you sort of know their aesthetic. And I had never gone hands-on with one and all I can tell you, and, and hopefully you can get this from reading the article, but I, I was really blown away by it. Um, the finishing, just the, the the uniqueness of the design, and just the attention to detail on, you know, everything from the actual watch itself to the straps they choose, um, the the pouch it comes in, but just the different brands they work with, and the facts the fact that they work with uh, Schwartz Etienne on some of the movement. Um, uh, adjust adjustments and, and perhaps some of the, the modification of the movement uh, just blew me away for a price of 1,250 Swiss francs, which is basically the same in dollars and about 10% less than that in euros. Uh, I, I don't know how they're kind of making this watch at the, at, at this price. And that's, um, you know, the, the materials themselves are of course don't add up to anything near that, but, when I look at watches that sell for that price all day long, uh, this felt and feels like it's on a completely different level. So 
I know that there was a lot of frustration out there on the article um, about the fact that it sold out so quickly and that by the time people got to the article, which of course released at, I think it was 2 p.m. Uh, Europe time on Friday, uh, things things were gone if they were on a time zone that, that had them waking up later or getting out of work later. Um, but what I can say is, you know, sign up for their newsletter, stay aware of when they come out with things. And at some point you'll, you'll hopefully get, uh, get lucky to get one, um, fully recommended. It really, really blew me away. Yeah. 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 I, I had to read it from your uh, article and, uh, saw the pictures. It looks really nice. I had to pleasure to see the, the copper dial one in, uh, in Dubai. It was on, uh, on display with the, gphg um booth they had a special booth with all the all the winning watches basically and uh yeah i was impressed i know ming for a very long time he uh in the past he contributed to fratello i think uh, at least 10 or 11 years ago and uh, it was much about watch photography back then he did and he did some really in-depth watch reviews i think he really knows his stuff and um yeah i think his watches are perfect uh yeah uh, example of that how much he knows his stuff and how he is involved and uh, also in the in design uh, i think even much longer he he once contacted me about designing a watch for uh, he wanted to design a watch for a certain uh, uh, company i don't think it still exists the company but um, he asked me about it with a brief email exchange and then later on he, he contributed some articles but so i know he's he has been in this whole watch design thing for a long time and um yeah the result is there it looked really really nice i have to say and i can imagine that the 200 pieces just flew away yeah yeah and uh, i shouldn't say but the watch is still here with me for another i don't know 12 or 14 hours and uh <laughs> don't give it back yeah i know i don't want to <laughs> <laughs> tell him it's lost yeah dhl <laughs> yeah okay good choice so how about you Okay, my uh, I think my first one is the one that you have as well. So let's uh, let's get the elephant out of the room. Yeah, <laughs> it's a gold moon the gold watch, elephant. the moonshine, <laughs> and um, the gold elephant. And um, I think for me, it was the best release of 2019, which is also the reason I I, I bought one. It's a chunk of money, but I think this is the watch I had been waiting for a long, long time. And um, I have a gold one from 1980, and I've always been looking at the one from 69, the gold one with the burgundy bezel, but yeah, they, they have become so expensive that um, that was not really an option anymore, basically. And then this came along and um, yeah, I've, what I said before, I think it's better than the first one, to be honest. And uh, it's really a watch that I wear a lot, like really a lot. It's unbelievable. And uh yeah, I really love the watch. And I think we, we, we discussed it many times here and there's a lot of writing on Fratello about it. And there will be a lot of writing on Fratello about it because it's just such a cool watch. So I will skip to my second choice because I think we, we have discussed the, the Moonshine one uh, a lot of times. And um, I also only wanted to pick one watch from one brand because I think Omega did some more v very interesting releases this year, but uh, I picked other brands as well. So I will pick my second one. It's uh, the Aorus Pro Pilot X, which I chose for several reasons. And uh, I think the most important reason is that it's a definitely an Aorus. It's really a, a, a Pro Pilot watch, but it's so different at the same time. 
and it's so much out of their comfort zone that I thought it was a yeah quite a big move from them to do something like this and to show what they can do and um, that they can do more than the 65 and uh, and and um, big crown uh, pilot watches and the uh, Aki uh, divers watches. This is something new for them, and um, they respected their yeah their their pro pilot heritage or the, the yeah the pilot design, but they made really a cool watch out of it. And uh, it, this was also a release that was done later in the year. Um, I think from our team, it was Bert that flew to Shanghai for a, more or less a day <laughs> to, to witness the, the introduction of this uh, Pro Pilot X. And we had Andreas writing a really well um, um, in-depth um, um, review of this watch. But yeah, I love the skeletonized uh, piece. The, the movement is not new. Um, it's the caliber 115, which is actually based on the caliber uh, 110. Um, yeah, it's an in-house movement. Um, it's beautifully done. It's really a modern timepiece, basically. And um, the price is interesting. Uh, from the top of my head, it's around 7,000 euros. Um, yeah, I think it's around 7,000. And that's a lot of money um, if you compare it to the other Oris uh, watches in their collection. But I think it's still a lot of value. And especially if you look at the bracelet, that's really, really well done. So, yeah, I thought it was a nice, uh, very nice um, watch from Oris this year. And I think at Basel World, they already gave us a preview. I'm not sure if you were there as yeah, well the with the virtual, virtual reality, reality um, yeah. glasses. Yeah, so they, they give you a virtual reality tour inside the movement, which was really well done. So they already gave a little sneak preview. So we knew what was coming. And then later on in the year, they I think it was September, they uh, they released the watch in uh, Shanghai, yeah. of all places. And um, I'm not, I don't know how it's doing, but um, yeah, it, it looks really neat. It's a, it's a really uh, a job well done. Yeah, I had, a, uh, I had a friend the other day send me a note and he said his friend was looking at a Diver 65 or mm -hmm. the Pro Pilot X. I thought, wow, okay. Oh, well, <laughs> that's a, pretty... a variation. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but it, yeah, I remember the uh, the virtual reality thing. We were we walked upstairs without being told what we were going to do and we're kind of sworn to secrecy. And certainly they uh, they warned us that something was big was big was coming later in the year. And, and that was it. Very, very cool move from from morris no doubt yeah so yeah i think it's a very ballsy move and i think they really did a, a nice job the design is well done and as i said the bracelet was is amazing also yeah to, to try it on and it um yeah it's a cool thing good so yeah so you were right the uh omega was on my list as well um but uh so, so I won't i won't spend any time talking to that other than to say uh i feel the same as you and Never thought I would wear a watch uh, all gold so much, but boy, I do. Um, but moving on, the the next watch that I wanted to highlight was the uh, Breitling uh, Navitimer, the nineteen fifty nine reedition, which is the all black dial uh, eight oh six reference, and it uh, yeah really for me was a bit of a let's say a, a re-entrance by Breitling uh, for, for fans of their, of their vintage pieces and really what they, what they used to do. 
Um, I, we happen to know uh, Watch Fred, uh, Fred Mandelbaum, quite well. And we happen to know him from collecting circles and, and really just his interest in the brand. And we also know how involved he's been with Breitling <clears throat> since uh, George Kern came in. And, you know, the amount of work that went into creating this watch and, you know, I, I give Breitling a ton of credit for sticking to it when it really would have been pretty easy, I think, to say, okay, we stop here with a really good dial and a really good case and we use some parts from something else here or stick an, an automatic movement in. But um, yeah, the they, they really did an amazing job of making this about as faithful as possible. But you know, on top of that, they used a new movement or they used a, uh, a manual wine version of their in-house chronograph. And yeah, they, they put a ton of effort towards it. Um, I'll, I'll have something coming up on the watch um, soon because I've been with Fred's uh, example actually for the last month and I've been wearing it quite a bit. So I'm going to kind of do a long-term review on it. Um you hear stories about how, uh, yeah, they, they, they used, um, some pretty interesting measurement devices to get the actual width of the hands. So the non-loomed parts of the borders exactly the same as the originals. And, you know, like literally the, the differences are probably things that 99.9% .9 of people wouldn't notice, but, Fred did and, uh, you know, was able to convince the, the Breitling team that that was super important. And when I wear this watch and I look down on it, um, mm -hmm. I think I'm wearing an old watch. So pretty impressive. And yeah, then they did a good job. Huh? Yeah. And, you know, the cool thing was, uh, I think, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, corollaries that can be drawn between the gold Speedmaster and this watch, but I think you had, in both cases, brands not overly sure how well this watch was; these watches were going to do, and it turns out that they uh, they beat all expectations and probably could have made far more of each. And in fact, um, yeah, they stuck they stuck to those limited numbers, and uh, now you have now you have watches that that are sold out. So good for them. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, I think that uh, that. Um Breitling was one of my Basel World favorites, to be honest. Um, with the, the the exit of uh, Swatch Group, um, I think the remaining brands, um, um, yeah, I think Breitling made the most, uh, uh, yeah, impression with that uh, uh, Navi timer. Um, so I didn't choose it, but it was definitely on my in my mind to 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 mention. But I thought uh, I have some other ones uh, that I also like and also want to give some uh, attention. Um, my next pick is the Bulgari Octo Finissimo Chronograph GMT Automatic. Ooh, good choice. It's quite a long uh, model name. Yeah. Um, I like the Breitling, as you say, but I wanted to pick something that is not a re-edition so much mm -hmm. because otherwise we get a lot of re-editions in this list because I have some re-edition coming up. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I like the Bulgari Octo. And the Finissimo uh, one are the, the thinner models, basically. And what I really love about Bulgari is that they achieved 
to come with a watch that is so recognizable and so unique to Bulgari. It is a Bulgari and there's no doubt uh, if someone sees this watch, whether it's perhaps another brand. No, it's a Bulgari. It's very unique. You can you can uh, recognize it or identify it from, uh, from, from 10 or 20 meters distance. So I think that's a very um, interesting and unique thing to do. I think the design is very daring. Uh, it's not a watch for everyone and it should not be a watch for everyone, to be honest. I think... Uh, yeah, I think people who are really outspoken and are not afraid to show their that they are outspoken, they uh, they uh, yeah could wear this uh, this uh, Bugari Octo Finissimo, and the one I uh, picked is the Chronograph GMT version. Um, Bu- Bulgari, they um, um, they say uh, they, they make these really thin watches, so they're really proud of that they have the thinnest. I think also this is the thinnest um, um, self-winding uh, chronograph or even the thinnest uh, mechanical chronograph anyway. Um, they have a very thin tourbillon as well and a minute repeater. And to be honest, I don't really care about being the thinnest. Um I myself are also not the thinnest, so that's also. Uh, <laughs> but no, I think it's it's nice that it's really thin. It's six point nine millimeters thick, and that's quite amazing for a self-winding chronograph. Um, I think it's even thinner than uh, the two-hand Royal Oak uh, Jumbo. Um, but I just love the design. I just love the design of the. Bulgari uh, Octo Finissimo and um, the chronograph is really n- nice done the the GMT uh, hand at at, uh, at th- uh, three o'clock is very uh, yeah integrated within the design um, it's f- full titanium I think it's sandblasted titanium it looks very nice it has uh, yeah some black markings it looks yeah quite as a unique watch basically it's not something not something that you can confuse with another brand or another uh, uh, model um the price is quite yeah it's seventeen thousand. uh i think seventeen thousand euros or seventeen and a half thousand euros so it's not cheap um but yeah i can imagine it's not cheap to to uh, produce basically and um, you don't see them uh, around often and i think compared to some of the watches of the big brands um that more or less have the same price. I think the Bulgari is really interesting um, uh, watch to look at. So if you, yeah, if you really want something different than the watches you uh, you come across uh, at work and at a managing board or during meetings or whatever, I think the, the yeah Bulgari is definitely a brand to uh, to take notice of. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I, I don't know why, but in my mind, um, the more I look at these. Uh, I put them in that same bunch, let's say, as the the Nautilus or the Royal Oak. And if I'm not mistaken, with the uh, Octo, you can actually get them, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's a waiting list for them, to be honest, um, because I think they are very um, – it's still very niche. I don't, it, it's not an easy brand to 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 – to sell uh, and also not to buy because I think you really need to make sure you want this watch. And um, it's not a watch like a Patek or Audemars Piquet where there's a waiting list and you can sell them for more than than retail. Um, yeah, so, so I guess it, it takes also a different type of consumer that is really self-confident. That's, that was what I'm looking for. I think it takes a self-confident person to, to buy a Bulgari and to... Uh, to, to spend that amount of money on a watch that's not as well known 
or well exposed as an Audemars Piquet or a, or a Patek or a Rolex Daytona, for example. But I think it's something really different. And if I see someone uh, in the flash with his watch, uh, I think uh, yeah, I, would, I would feel very uh, confident about uh, uh, giving compliments about this watch. But I think because I think someone who purchased this watch did it for a very specific reason and uh, probably a watch enthusiast. Um so yeah, it's. I think it's a cool piece, and I, I actually I love all of these these Finissimo models. I'm not so keen on the ones on a leather strap somehow because I think their bracelets are really really yeah, well done. Bracelet makes it. I, I think um, I'm with you. It's yeah. part of it. And um, when I was in Dubai, I also saw a Bulgari Octo um, for the Middle East, and it's not a Finissimo, so it was a bit thicker. And those are like. Uh, I don't know. They, they started around six thousand or something, six and a half thousand. So they are the price tag is, a, yeah, friendlier than the thin Finissimo models. So that could be a very uh, interesting alternative. Um, and they have the same appearance basically. They really look the same. They're just a bit thicker uh, because of the use of the movement. But it's uh, the design is uh, very similar. And uh, yeah, the whole Bulgari, Bulgari Octo thing. Um, I think it's very um, impressive by Bulgari to put a watch like this on the market and make it almost uh, an icon right away. I think that's something very, uh, yeah, impressive to do. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Very, very, very uh, uniquely designed watch and uh, I think kind of a a classic right out the gate, really. Especially, especially yeah. when you see so many other brands coming out with something, yeah, that the sport dress watch that, Let's be honest, there are a few that have come out over the last, uh, well, one this year and some in the past that, that look just a little too reminiscent of either the AP or the or the Patek. So, yeah. credit to... Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, uh, it's interest, interesting to see that a lot of uh, brands, they try to, to jump on this uh, Genta train, basically. And um, yeah, the Nautilus does well and the, the Royal Oak does well and... Um, uh, more or less, the, yeah, perhaps the overseas is not a Genta, but also in that same style. Um, I think Chopard with the Alpine Eagle, I have a review coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, they tried to to jump on that bandwagon as well, and so did uh, Piaget with the Polo S a few years ago. Um, but I think it's too close, basically, to what, what, what the Royal Oak is and what the Nautilus is. And I think there is where I really praise the Octo from Bulgari for how it looks. Um, while also being this watch with an integrated bracelet and this, this, yeah, uncommon uh, design, basically. Cool. So my next one, um, hmm, I've got two left. So I am going to pick next the Anordain Model 2. So this happens to be a watch that comes from Scotland and, or at least is... Uh, Assembled there, and and most importantly, the dials are made there. Uh, this happens to be a an independent brand. So, if we go back to a few episodes uh, ago when we were asked about small brands, um, this is a watch that both uh, Thomas and I reviewed. He reviewed one with a um, let's call it a more standard enamel dial, and I reviewed one with a fumé dial. And this is a 36 millimeter watch with uh, a manual wind movement. It's got a very, you know, unique case for, uh, for what's called a, a slightly lower cost, uh, 
lower cost segment independent watch, uh, but but the dial mm-hmm. is really where where things come alive. Um, the normal enamel ones are, are vitreous enamel, and then the uh, the fumets are are also an enamel process, but there's uh, a different reaction that's gone on there to give it this uh, interesting finish. And yeah, I, I I think what struck me about these watches, and they they range by the way, pricing is is like nine hundred and fifty pounds on the on the normal enamel to fifteen hundred pounds on the fume, which is a, a really big difference, admittedly. Um, I I personally mm-hmm. like the the standard enamel uh, fine enough, but yeah, what struck me here is that, that these watches really don't look like um, they don't really look like anything else, and I'm they're they're kind of eccentric. They're a very different piece. They're, they're made to be field watches. They don't have a sweep seconds hand. So, um, there's sort of some, uh, um, yeah, I, I guess some, some, some non-standard thinking there in, in how they've created these, but just great design, a very, very clean watch, very legible. And I, I really enjoyed reviewing it. I know Thomas bought the one that uh, that he reviewed. He liked it so much. Nice. Yeah. So, and yeah. and for for people out there, I mean, we review a lot of watches, and okay, some of us, uh, I'll put myself in this bucket, are, are definitely more on the side of of, of hoarding. Um, but we don't. We really don't end up walking away um, saying, "Oh, we're going to buy." this watch and that watch. I mean, oftentimes when you get a watch into review for two, three weeks, you, you see it. And when you first see it, I mean, every new watch looks pretty good when you take it out of the box. And then after a week or two, you kind of go, okay, it's a cool watch, but I don't need it. Um, these anordains mm-hmm. are, are really, really nice. So, you know, if you're somebody who, who enjoys in the independent watches and somebody who wants something a little bit different, um, certainly at 36 millimeters, it's the type of watch and it's offered in, such a variety of colors that it could work for, for both women and men, um, their straps, the, the packaging and everything is really here again, um, very different watch than the Ming we just spoke about, but a lot of attention to detail and really cool company to talk with, very communicative and got right back to me when I had questions, uh, very friendly. So Cool, cool watch, and I would say, yeah, if you like it, give one a try. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice. I think we got a lot of traction on these uh, Ordain yeah. articles, so I think more people are very interested in those. Yeah. yeah. Um, next watch for me is actually a limited edition, and it's a re-edition, so it uh, probably ticks a lot of uh, boxes for the keyboard ninjas. But I really, when I saw it in, at the Time to Move uh, event earlier this year, which is the Swatch Group um, alternative for Baselworld, um, yeah, it, it, it struck me. And it was a, a piece that um, I, I really liked from, from, from the start, from the first time that I saw it. And it's the Blancpain Air Command Chronograph. Uh-huh. And I think you wrote an article on it um, in the same week or the week after uh, Time to Move, which was in May. Uh, so it's a chronograph. It is a re-edition of a watch that was done for the U.S. Air Force, if I'm not mistaken, in a very small batches. So it is a bit of a re-edition of a very rare watch, basically. And the original ones are very rare. And 
I think uh, there was one at auction uh, a few years ago for uh, quite a sum. And it was a manual wind, uh, I think, Faljou movement inside. And they did a re-edition of that with a high beat um, uh, movement, Blancpain movement. Uh, so 36,000 uh, beats per hour. And um, yeah, it's a really cool piece, I have to say. And I only saw it once. Um, it is a flyback movement. It's a very nice, uh, nicely done chronograph with two registers. Um, a bit of full patina. So again, a box to be ticked uh, by the haters. But um, yeah, it, I, I don't know. It's a cool piece. I, I tried it on the wrist a couple of times when I was uh, in, in uh, Switzerland. And um, yeah, I think it's one of the more interesting releases of this year. So very small batch. I think it's limited to 500 pieces um, with quite a interesting price tag. I think it was like 18,000 Swiss francs. That, that I think that's a perfect example of a watch that, I mean, when it came out and uh, what was the other one? Was it the, jeez, uh, was it the Barracuda or what was the, what was the other limited piece? Mm-hmm. The yeah. other one was the Barracuda, I think. Yeah, Those pieces got, I mean, they got a ton of press right when they came out, but it almost feels now like it was a while ago and okay, they're, they're limited. So I think a lot of people said, all right, I'm either gonna get one or i'm not um but get one yeah, yeah, yeah exactly but but good yeah. uh yeah and that's a bit of a yeah, pity but good uh good for bringing that one up so so yeah so mine yeah, uh, nice yeah so so my next one is on the polar opposite of cost and it is not limited and it is um well it's also a bit of a you mentioned 50 fathoms this is a a diver but i picked the um I picked the new Seiko Sumo. So the uh yeah. Oh. The yeah. they they came out um at Basel, the SPB 101 which is black and the SPB 103 in green. And basically Seiko took a watch that was uh, it was a good watch before, no doubt about it, but they they did what they've kind of been doing across their line which is moving the the uh, model upwards a little bit which a lot of people will decry, but on the other hand, you know, they added a, a Sapphire crystal. They added the 6R35 movement, which is a nice movement indeed. Um, it's a 45 millimeter watch, so it's certainly not small, but you know, the, the 52 and a half lug to lug tells you that it is, it doesn't have massively long lugs. In fact, you know, this watch and the, the, um, 6159 modern reinterpretation, which is what I own, uh, are both, in my view, really, really good alternatives to the Marine Master 300, which has gone quite expensive. And I still Mm -hmm. find to be, I own one and it's just a very tall, tall watch. Um, These are far flatter um, and at a price of, I just checked on the uh, Seiko Germany site and they retail for 830 euros, which is, I mean, we, we talk about it all the time and, and people getting upset about things not costing four or five, six hundred $600 anymore, but nobody makes a, a dive watch with this level of um, specification in that price level, really. I mean, you can buy a less expensive Seiko and it's going to be a great watch as well. But if you want Sapphire, you want a 6R35 and bracelet, all that kind of thing. This is a pretty, pretty approachable price. And yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think yeah, I, the, 
really, really nice. good looking watch. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I have the Marine Master uh, 300. Um, I think the the one before you have, I think I think I have the 001. You have the 017, um, I think. No, I have the green one, the even newer one. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. you have the green one. Yeah, yeah. Gerard has the 017. Um, and I really like it, but I also see the, the retail price of today, which is above 3,000 euros. And... Um, yeah, it's still a good watch and it's still a good purchase, but it's not as spectacular anymore as it used to be when it was around 2,000 euros. Um, and I think a watch like this that you mentioned is a very good yeah, alternative or uh, yeah, basically a cheaper alternative for that and um, finishes good, it looks good. And uh, I think it's very hard to beat uh, this watch basically yeah, for this I think, price. Yeah, you I wear agree. one of these day in and day out. I mean, it's kind of a no apologies watch. It's made really, really well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why I chose it. Yeah. Okay. I, then I, uh, I'm i at my fifth watch, which uh, is more or less related to a Seiko. It's a grand Seiko. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was really in doubt whether I should pick the Seiko Prospects Alex because I really like those. The downside of that is that there's only 100 euro difference with the Grand Seiko diver. And that makes it very difficult for me to choose the Prospects Alex. I really like it. I like the bracelet. I like how it's done. It looks really neat. But for me, Grand Seiko is another brand. It's yeah, more uh, higher grade finish and so on. And then 100 euro difference only, then it um, becomes a bit tough. And um um, the Grand Seiko was not, not new for this year, so I, that was not an option, the Grand Seiko Diver. But I, gro- I chose a Grand Seiko. It's um, the SBJY003. I wish they will start to give these models just names instead of uh, uh, reference numbers because this is ridiculous. Uh, it's part of the Grand Seiko Elegance Collection. I think they go as far as that to, to give a, a collection a name and then they start with all these reference numbers. It's the Grand Seiko with the um, beautiful um, um, Sunray dial mm-hmm. pattern. It's a bit difficult to describe, but if you just Google SBJY003, you will definitely immediately recognize, oh, that watch, yes, that watch. So it has the, the, the Sunray dial, dial uh, pattern, beautiful case design. Uh, I think there's one in in gold as well, but I'm talking about a steel one. It's 38.5 millimeter in in diameter. It has a spring drive movement. And the cool thing about this spring drive uh, movement uh, in this watch is it doesn't have a power reserve um, on the dial side. It's on the side of the... uh, It's on the back side. So you can see it through the uh, crystal... Uh, case back which i always find a pity with the spring drive watches is basically that they have this power reserve indicator uh, so prominently on the dial and um, i'm not a firm believer of power reserve indicators on any automatic or self-winding watch um, on, on a on a hand round watch i get it it has a 72 hour power reserve so it's nice to have that much uh, power reserve with a with a hand wound um, uh, movement it's again a limited edition of 700 pieces and it has a retail price of 8200 euros uh, in the netherlands so that could be a bit different in other countries due to the vat uh, differences but i really like this watch as a dress watch i think um grand seiko has a lot of watches that 
can go either very sporty, like the diver I just mentioned, or the one I have myself, the Mount Iwate one with the high beat movement or the Snowflake, which is a bit in between. It's a, it's a bit of a watch that you can use as a daily wearer, but it's only perfect with a suit. Um, but this is really a dress watch. And I think that, yeah, they really did a neat job. I think it could even do without a second's hand. But I think one of the cool things with spring drive oh, is yeah. the move movement Beautiful. of the, um, or, or the sweep of the, of the second's uh, hand. I like the case design a lot. So it's, it's very different from the 44 GS or 62 GS cases or the, the, the snowflake uh, uh, model. Um, it's really a dress watch. Um, it's a bit thick. Um, to be honest, which is something that most Grand Seikos suffer a bit from. Um, but it's, it's much thinner than the Snowflake or the, the Mount Iwate one. It's 10.2 millimeter. Um, so that's okay-ish. Um, but yeah, I think this is my fifth choice. And um, I think Grand Seiko did a really marvelous job this year, again, with some, uh, some, some of these watches. The only thing is that you see that they become quite a bit more expensive than they used to be. Um, we recently reviewed the Grand Seiko they did together with uh, Timeless. It's a retailer in uh, in the US. Um, go, look, go, go look it up on, uh, on Fortello. It's uh, more or less a stainless steel version of the Snowflake, but with a um, uh, blizzard dial. It looks really neat. Um, those watches are around the 6,000 euro mark. And this year I noticed that they cranked it up a bit. Um, and this one is a good example. It's a steel watch on a leather strap and they charge 8,000 euros, 8.2, which is something, it's still a very good purchase. It's still a lot of bang for the buck. I think it's, uh, you can still compare it to some of the, the more expensive Swiss competitors out there. But I think they have to be careful that they don't um, price, themselves a, price themselves a bit too much out of the of the of the market um they used to be such a good uh, proposition for uh, for the money and um or value for the money and now they they come closer with their prices to the to the yeah more expensive uh, swiss watches and then it becomes tricky of course yeah the, the but nevertheless i chose it it's in my top five the so grand seiko i'm pretty sure you're listening it's a yeah. really neat watch it's uh i'm, I'm it's looking cool. at the uh i'm looking at the article you did on this and yeah you titled it well the never-ending flow of amazing dials the grand seiko <laughs> that was it yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah b- beautiful case back yeah. though the to see the the spring drive movement um i mean it's definitely different than a than a purely mechanical movement but it's cool to see it for sure and that is a stunning dial there's no doubt yeah and they had a very neat version of this watch in platinum um with a like a hammered case and perhaps the dial had also had this motif it was really uh, out of this world yeah Um, yeah Probably also a different price tag. I don't know, but it was, I think that's more of a show off piece. I think piece, that was like honest. seventy seventy thousand or something, wasn't it? Something crazy. It was, it was really expensive, yeah. but it was gorgeous. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. If you say it really quickly, then uh, yeah. no one notices. But um, it was very expensive. Yeah. But the steel one is, yeah, I think at eight thousand euros, it's still a very very outstanding watch. Um, yeah, it's a very cool piece. So um, yeah, it's definitely something to to uh, look into if you're into. Uh, very nice dress watch. Then have a look at this one. Okay, that was my um, top five of 2019 so far. Well, I, I don't, I don't get to do five because my fifth was the uh, the Speedmaster. So 
I think we're uh, I think we're good to go. So yeah. So yeah. So do you want to just uh, give us a little intro to what will come next before we sign off? I did an interview with uh, Tom van Weilig from uh, Le Bois and Co. Um, you probably heard about them or perhaps not it's a small brand from the netherlands they resurrected an old watch brand name called le bois and co it's like 85 years old and a few years ago they uh, they they started using this brand name again to start their own uh, line of watches and um, they introduced a new watch called the venturist and it's more or less uh, an explorer like watch it's a bit influenced by it or perhaps it's my own interpretation of that and um, they did something really neat with the watch and the movement and uh, with a certification uh, process to uh, to do things a bit different than only certified as a chronometer but to do some extra steps like uh, we've seen with rolex and um, omega with their uh, master chronometer um, Le Bois and Co did something similar and I think it's a really interesting story and I do an interview with uh, Tom van Weilig the, the owner of uh, Le Bois and Co yeah about this uh, this uh, this company that he uh, started about uh, the watch that he's introducing and about his own love for watches and where it came from and how he started this business and how he looks uh, at things in the in the industry well as RJ said we're we're going to sign off here so I, I just want to do say to everyone thanks so much for for coming on the journey with us thus far. And we look forward to bringing you more in 2020. Uh, it's been, it's been a learning experience and it's been, it has been a lot of fun. I, I know we, uh, we talked a little bit about how our early episodes were probably a little more uh, tight and a little less, uh, yeah, maybe a little less uh, personal, personable, but I, I think we've loosened up pretty well and and hopefully, yeah, we just continue to, to improve and, as always, um, please continue to send us uh, questions that you might have. Um, certainly anything you've got, uh, we'll attempt to answer it here on the podcast. You can get in touch with us uh, via our Instagram, um, either via the Fortello Instagram, via RJ Brewer, via Mike in Frankfurt, or our email address, which is info at Fortello.com. We are here with uh, Tom van Weilig from uh, Le Bois and Co. Watches. And uh, we thought it would be nice to, to ask some questions to Tom about uh, Le Bois and Co. and this latest watch, the, the Venturist. But first, Tom, please, can you, uh, can you give us a little introduction on who you are, where you're from, and uh, what you do? Sure, sure. Well, first of all, thank you uh, for having me. My name is Tom van Weilig. I am 40 years old. I was born and still living in the southern part of the Netherlands. so about two hours drive from uh, from you, uh, Robert-Jan. And I am the co-founder and uh, of, of the revived Le Bois & Co. watch company. And um, before you you started uh, Le Bois & Co. or restarted it, basically, and we'll come back to that later, um, what brought you to watches in the first place? Yeah, I actually have been a watch enthusiast for as long as I can remember. Um, the first watch that I got must have been a, a Swatch. I think it was called the Navigator. Uh, yeah. It, uh, I guess this, this was around 1987 or 1988. I yeah. I still have it in my in my closet, and I still remember uh, how it looked new. So I was very intrigued with it. Of course, it's very old now and full of scratches. 
but uh, yeah, I still have that vivid memory uh, wearing it to school and uh, playing outside with it. And after buying and, and owning several Swatch watches, I bought my first mechanical watch at a Dutch retailer nearby. And that was a Tag Heuer Carrera Re-Edition. Yeah. The, the basic one, freehand, uh, so not a chronograph or anything. It has a, cl- a closed case back. I don't have it anymore. It was a real cool watch. And uh, from that moment on, it didn't took me long before I bought my first Omega Seamaster. The 300M, you know, with the, the bond watch. Yeah, the bond. Yeah, so yeah. Felt, felt a I little bit it... like bond uh, at that <laughs> moment. <laughs> I think a lot of people uh, yeah. started with that watch, or one, was one of the first watches. Yeah. Um, and I think if you are in your 40s, and uh, I'm 42, I think uh, for most of us, uh, our first watches were Swatch uh, yeah. watches, and uh, I still have my first as well. Um, do you consider yourself a, a collector? Yeah, I think I am. Um, of course, lately I tend to wear a lot of LeBlanco watches, all of them, of course, vintage as well as new. But I also like Omega, for instance, the Seamaster, so the 300M1, but also the Planet Ocean. It's a little bit big for my wrist, but yeah, I had several um, uh, references, uh, different references of that, uh, that watch. But also Tudor Black Bay and the Rolex Explorer is one of the latest um, that, that I had. Um, <clears throat> so I do have and, and wear different pieces. Uh, but on the other side, I'm not afraid to sell a watch to make room for another piece. So in that case, yes. yeah, uh, if there's something that I like more, uh, then I, I'm not afraid to, to, sell, uh, to sell something. And also in the beginning of Lebanco, I really had no choice. I needed money to make designs and prototypes and re-register yeah. the company uh, and its trademarks in the different registers around the world. So I really had to sell some of, uh, of the swatches. Yeah, yeah. But they might might come back at some point, I guess. I hope so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about Le Bois & Co., uh, I know it's a, a very old company. It's uh, 85 years old. Uh, you restarted it or res- resurrected uh, Le Bois & Co. Um, in 2014. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit how Le Bois & Co. started? Yeah, it, it actually started from having a, a, a business, uh, mainly to to officially trade watches uh, to finance my hobby. Uh, and, and from there, uh, so I, I set up a website to trade these watches. And from there, I was asked in 2013 to join in uh, to make online web boutiques for independent watch brands. We didn't make a lot of them, but we did for Claire or Kler. Yeah. Uh, I think you know them. And also visited brands like Louis Monet and Miles. And during these uh, meetings we had there, <clears throat> I actually realized that I wanted to be on the other side of the table. So, uh, I mean, I really like to sell other brands' watches. But uh, and mainly because I love to see the, the smile on people's faces when they buy something that they haven't, yeah, have been looking forward to and often saved up a lot of money for. But at that moment, I realized that there would be nothing greater than to be on the side that actually makes these watches. <clears throat> for you, that was an eye opener to talk to the brands, yeah, basically. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
And then, then what happened? You, you just st- started Le Bois uh, & Co. As a, as a brand or how did it work? No. Uh, uh, so from there, I went on and uh, started some research to, yeah, to start a watch brand, actually. So at that moment, I uh, was thinking, okay, uh, shall I call the brand like Van Willek? It's a nice name, but yeah, what's, what does it have to do with, with watches or anything? But I, so I knew that there were a lot of watch brands out there that have disappeared before or during the quartz crisis. So I started looking uh, at such brands and I think it was a, a list and Lebonco was on it. And I Googled Lebonco and uh, I, the first picture that came up was a gorgeous vintage chronograph that was auctioned uh, by Christie's in 2012. Yeah. I showed it to my wife, Evelyn, and she. Uh, she uh, suggested uh, to stick it to our fridge. So we, ha- we had this American one, you know, the magnets. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and from there, yeah, we, we actually both fell in love with that, that watch. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty generic for that time. Um, the, the vintage chronographs, uh, there were a lot of watches that looked similar, but yeah, the, the watch was quite big. It was, uh, approximately 14 millimeters in diameter. So that's pretty big for that time. Yeah, it was. Um, so I started my research and contact the Dodane family, who were the former owners and original founders of the brand. Yeah. They liked the idea and said, yeah, go ahead, do whatever okay. you want. Uh, as easy as that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's sympathetic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they have their own brand and, and uh, the Raymond Dodin, uh, so the, the, the original founder, he had several brands. When you look, uh, look into it, I think it, they had a, at least eight or, or nine brands. So, yeah. So late 2014 on Lebonco's 80th birthday, <laughs> we revived the brand and yeah, Fortella Watches was the first to announce. I remember yeah. it. Uh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And here we are. We we have done three Kickstarters and just released a whole new watch. So, yeah, um, and the new watch is the the Venturist. Yeah, I've seen it. We we published about it uh, last week. Can you tell us a bit about the the Venturist design and uh, yeah how it how it came to to life? <clears throat> yeah, we we call the Venturist a sturdy yet refined tool watch. Uh, so it was designed mainly to be highly legible in any condition, day or night. Uh, for that reason, it has a very matte black dial, uh, bright superluminova, the, the blue, green, white, the, the code BGW9 on all hands and all markers. And uh, yeah, it has a diameter of 41 millimeters. So it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not too big in my opinion, but it's, it's, it's there. Uh, it's it's a, quite a, yeah big watch and um, 10.5 millimeters high so you can still fit under your sleeve and the refined part is mainly on yeah it's all, of course it's on the front but we uh, decided to to make it an open case back so that the fully decorated movement inside is visible yeah uh, it's not so typical tool watch but yeah in my opinion yeah we figured out that it could be possible. You can still have a, a decent water resistance and even uh, anti-magnetism uh, for the watch. 
and still mm -hmm. open up the the case back so that's why uh, why we did it yeah yeah um yeah for the design itself we we have taken a look at all the Blanco watches which are still around and pop up uh, even more often now that the brand exists again it's a, yeah that's a, a nice feature i remember five years ago there were only two old <coughs> um Lebuanco uh, vintage pieces on eBay and now on every given moment there are at least 10 or maybe more. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but and for the for the rest of the design we also uh, checked the avant-garde date. So the our first watch it's more of yeah. the rest watch but we managed to keep some DNA of the new Lebuanco. So it's yeah. yeah, we really try to mix the heritage uh that there is uh and 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 but also something new yeah uh yeah the venturist comes with two straps and it's a black shell uh cordovance leather strap and a sturdy nato strap so the the seat belt nato so yeah. then then you can there's also the sturdy yet refined part in it you yeah. can wear it uh, on any, any occasion yeah to match uh, uh yeah, to, to match it actually well the thing that we that, that you didn't mention yet is uh the movement and i had the pleasure to uh to try to watch a bit um when you last visited uh, our office and um, i was happily surprised it looks good it's um it reminds me a bit as i wrote uh, of the rolex explorer when i turned the watch around i saw a, a, a self-winding movement a nicely decorated rotor on first sight, it was just automatic Salita movement, mm -hmm. um, but there's something special going on. The movement on the on the dial, the, the, the it says um, officially certified uh, chronometer, um, so the movement has been certified by Cosk. Yeah, but there's something more going on there. Can you explain a bit about what's so special about the movement, or actually about the entire watch? Yeah. Well, to to um, to correct you, uh, Robert John, the, the the words on the on the dial do not specifically mean that they have to be um, uh, certified by Cosk. Mm -hmm. In this case, we use a movement that has uh, been certified by Cosk, but uh, it, it was not necessary because we can also use that that chronometer term. Because the, the the whole watch is certified by time lab according to the Observatoire Chronometrique Plus certification, which and is, that includes the COSC standards. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, actually, it, it includes the the ISO three one five nine standard, which is the standard yeah. that that chronometer uh, that that's a chronometer standard. So you're saying that that um, that other third parties are also allowed basically, to certify a watch as chronometer as long as they uh, uh, match the standards set by COSC. Yeah, and they have to be certified themselves to do, to do so. That's a, yeah, so COSC yeah. had to certify time-lab in order to certify <clears throat> movements as chron chronometer. I, I don't know if it, it was COSC themselves. I think it was yeah. a, a, a body above that. Uh, so, okay. Uh, because COSC is a... Uh, an institution that does cosc certifications mm -hmm. i think it's a, a swiss body above that that yeah uh, handles these certification for the uh for the chronometer institutions yeah yeah it's a little bit yeah 
complicated, but very, very that, Swiss. Yeah, it sounds yeah, very Swiss. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very good. But please explain. Tell us what's so special about this um, um, uh, certification by uh, Time Lab. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So uh, Observatoire Chronometrique Plus. Let's call it OC Plus. It's uh, easier. <laughs> yes, um, they have an English name for that. I think they call it uh, Chronometric Observatory. Uh, certification but yeah oc plus is is is, is easiest uh, three and a half years ago i found out about this certification um and it's it's obviously done by time lab they are also responsible for the geneva seal certification the ponsoir de Genève. and at that point i was at the ephj uh fair so that's basically uh there for where there there is a section uh, that has um, companies for the Swiss watch industry, and at that point I saw the certification. I talked to the people of Time Lab, and I I was very interested. Uh, it it in my opinion it took it takes the bar of the chronometer label to a whole new level, uh, which I think it's very important for the, the whole industry for now and uh, also for the future i mean that uh, when you look at the, the numbers they are going down uh, yeah. how much they're selling so i think this is this could be a a, a good a good start with um yeah, to differentiate brands and, and the whole industry uh, again yeah uh, and for us as still being a small brand it is we are able to differentiate ourselves from the established order of the bigger swiss made mechanical watch brands yeah that's why i yeah i i really uh, was enthusiastic about that um so i did some correspondence with them and i visited them in october 2016 and we started with a first prototype uh somewhere in 2017 and yeah, from there uh, it, it became obvious that uh, we would need some some money for uh, the new design and uh, a, a new watch or new prototypes. Yeah. And yeah, so that that actually took me a whole year to find uh, new investors, and we uh, yeah we obviously did the two investors who now are part of the the, the company. Yeah, alongside the investors that invest now in smaller batches, <clears throat> you know we have the shareholder package. We'll get to that yeah. later, maybe. Um, so they actually pre-funded the whole uh, the whole setup for for the OC plus. Yeah, uh, and about the certification, it, it consists of four major test parts with the yeah. case watch. So not only the movement, the mm -hmm. case watch is being tested on rudder resistance. Uh, that's an isonorm, uh, yep. according to the water resistance that we give. In this case, it's uh, 100 meters. Yep. The power reserve is tested. Anti-magnetism, yep. also an isonorm. And the chronometer test, which is actually two days longer than the cost chronometer test. Yeah. Because of where but the deviations the uh, are the same, so minus 4 plus 6. Uh, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. And that whole process takes uh, about twenty-one days, so that's yeah. uh, a few days longer, of course, because there's, there's more tests uh, involved. And yeah. each individual case watch is being tested, and 
of course, only awarded the OC Plus certificate if all tests are 100% successful. Yeah. So I can imagine, because you do this per watch, it it, it it is quite a logistical nightmare, perhaps, to ship the cased watches to time lab, have them tested for 21 days, and they need to come back. Um, yeah, we have, so to, I can, we have to dive into that, how we are going to I'm figuring that out because, yeah. <laughs> but but I can imagine it's uh, it, it adds to the price, right? It's uh, quite an expensive exercise. Yeah. Of course, the, the, I mean, the, the, the tests themselves are much more, um, how do you say that, human, they're, they're, there's much more human interaction involved. It's yeah. in smaller batches. Uh, yeah. So, so. And, and do you think that um, um, end consumers are prepared to to pay for that additional test work and um, certification? Yeah, obviously you do because you, yeah, you have a price yeah. in mind and yeah. uh, you think it's uh, it's it's worth it. But did you do some research, or do you think that that people are very interested in having a watch um, uh, certified in a way that's more um, comprehensive than only cost yeah <clears throat> to be honest i didn't specifically do research uh, and ask people okay would you be willing to um to spend more yeah well to to uh, to pay extra for the oc plus certification yeah. because it's it wasn't very known um, yeah and at that point there was no other brand at that point uh, uh, to have that certification so um yeah uh, but when looking at Rolex, Omega, they keep raising the bar. And um, I don't know if, I think you have to turn it around and see that for the same price or for maybe a little bit extra, you get a watch that is being tested more. I mean, Rolex recently um, uh, strengthened their superlative chronometer yeah, certification. I I think they uh, they have a, a, a smaller um, deviation. Uh, yeah, tighter deviation yeah. minus two plus two. Yeah, correct. And um, I think it's also done after casing the movement. Um, yeah. Uh, testing. Yeah. And same for yeah. Omega with their uh, Metas with Metas. their master chronometer. Yeah. And that's, um, that's obviously not in house. I mean, I, I, that's that's a neutral body. Rolex does yeah. their own, but Omega uses Metas, which is uh, um, yeah neutral. I would love to see more brands either complying to the, the meta standards that, that Omega has or the OC plus standards. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. So no, it's very cool to see that uh, the Venturist is uh, yeah, a step ahead uh, compared to some, some other brands in the same uh, price range, I think. And um, yeah, I hope that uh, the Venturist will be a big success. From what I read is that production has started and that delivery will take place in q1 2020 yeah that's still the goal okay tom thank you for your time i hope that we can do another podcast once the the watches are really out and delivered Mm -hmm. so perhaps we can uh, can have another chat about how things are going and perhaps talk about more future plans sure yeah and um till then i wish you a lot of uh, good luck thank you you too thank you okay bye-bye